The Can't Wait Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Jets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And I'm looking at it right now. Uh, if you want to make the trip to Miami for the Jets on Sunday, Tickets available for just $23, and as you just heard, they'll get cheaper than that leading up to game time. So, hey, make the trip to the warm weather, get a cheap ticket to the Jets-Dolphins game on Sunday, and it's an easy two-tap checkout to get those tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. On the players that, that were leaked out today, those, those weren't players that we were shopping. Um, but, you know, where I'm from and what I was taught is when a team calls you, you should always listen to what they have to say. There was plenty of smoke leading up to the trade deadline. But no fires, but leave it to the Jets to not make a trade and still make it a mess. Tim McMaster here, along with Connor Hughes. This is the Can't Wait Podcast. Trade deadline behind us. The Jets made a deal on Monday. We'll get to that one. But the bigger news, Connor, is the mess that has come out of Tuesday. Uh, Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, all these guys swirling in the rumors. I guess we'll start with you just making sense of it all. What do you know? Yeah, what what a day, man. I mean, we're, like I said, we're recording this podcast at what time is it? Almost seven p.m. and and I'm sitting in my car outside the Jets facility talking to you guys on on uh, earbuds right now. So that kind of tells you what kind of day this one's been. Uh, you know, we were actually just talking before we started recording about the Jaguars game and and going through the rundown what we're going to talk about. It's like, man, that game feels like it was a freaking week and a half ago, and that's only been two days. But yeah, look, th- this is what this is kind of what I know regarding this whole trade deadline saga. Starting from this morning all the way to where we are now at 7 p.m. with you know the the Twitter issues with Jamal Adams and Joe Douglas and all this all this mumbo jumbo. So at eight o'clock today, I, I got I got woken up. I, I got a call from someone uh, that that I'm close to within league circles. One of one of my my closest and best sources that I've had for really since I've I've been uh, covering covering the NFL starting back to 2014 2015. And and he put on my radar very very early that there were some discussions and interest from other teams around the league in trading for, for Jets running back Le'Veon Bell. And so I heard this after initially first waking up and was kind of like half asleep because I was like, man, I think I'm going to sleep in today. And so I'm half awake. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because as soon as he said that to me, it, it initially did not make sense because I've talked to Adam Gase both on and off the record uh, about how much of, a, of an influential leader uh, Le'Veon Bell has become someone who uh, Gase, has, Gase has gone to and and uh, really talked so glowingly about to him to his face about how the he's a guy that so many of the younger players in the Jets roster grew up idolizing and looking at as, as kind of like this fictional superhero. 
you know, someone who they played with in the Madden video games and drafted in their fantasy league. And now they're playing with him and they look up to him as this massive role model, whether he realizes it or not. And Gase kind of told him, look, we're going to need you to step up as a leader to, to because these guys are all watching you with everything you do. And, and, and Bell's really a, a, adopted that and, and really used it to uh, really step up as a leader, something that wasn't necessarily in Pittsburgh. And guys are loving it. The Jets love it. Christopher Johnson, all these guys love it for it. So when I heard that originally, I was like, what do you mean the Jets are, the Jets are, are selling Le'Veon Bell? They were just talking. I was just talking to Gase about how much he loves him and how great he's been. And then by talking to this source and, and kind of really starting to, to, okay, now I'm awake. Now we got to figure this out. This is actually a thing. It became very clear that, and there is a very distinct difference to this. This isn't some, this is kind of, this isn't argument of difference of semantics. This is a very big difference between shopping someone and receiving calls for someone. The Jets at no point were ever shopping Le'Veon Bell, which is how it was conveyed to me. Teams were calling the Jets to inquire about Le'Veon Bell, which was put on my radar. The, the two teams that I heard that, that were the most interested that really did want Le'Veon Bell were the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs. It was just going to be a challenge for either of those teams to figure out a way to make it work because, A, the Houston Texans don't have the draft capital. They also have to pay a bunch of their players. And for the Kansas City Chiefs, they do have the draft capital, but they want to hold on to that first round pick because they only have five picks in the upcoming draft. So those were the two teams that were interested. Those two teams were trying to figure out a way to pry him from the Jets. Odds are it wasn't going to happen, but that was just something that, that this source wanted to put on my radar so that I'm informed. So I heard that news. I didn't report it right away because I didn't think anything of it. I, I reached out to our chief's guy to put it onto his radar, reached out to my editor and Chris, put it on his radar. I was like, hey, just so we know, this might be something that, that could potentially come about today, but I really don't think it's going to come about. Later on, obviously, is when it became the firestorm as it got out there that the Jets were shopping Le'Veon Bell, which is when kind of I clarified that report from from another outlet and said, you know, look, that that's not what this is. This is not shopping. The Jets were not calling. Look, here's, here's the biggest difference. And we, we were talking about this, again, kind of the pre-show meeting. And I'm sorry if I'm rambling because this has just been one hell of a day. But uh, it, the, the Jets with Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson, they were shopping those guys. Those were guys that they were calling teams, letting them know. These two guys are available. Let us know what your offers are for them. And, and if we hear an offer we like, we'll move them. With Le'Veon Bell, and as was also the case later on with Jamal Adams, the Jets were not calling teams saying, what do you want to give us for these guys? Teams were calling the Jets saying, hey, by any chance, is this guy available? Joe Douglas, as he clarified at his press conference when we talked to him, said, look, uh, no, they're not necessarily available, but what would you give us for him? And obviously, this is the thing about all NFL players, with the exception of franchise quarterbacks, everyone has a price. So with Le'Veon Bell, I heard that that price was a first-round pick, that the Jets were not going to move him unless they were going to get a first-round pick. That was not something that the Houston Texans could give up. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs technically could give that up, but also they didn't want to trade their first-round pick because of the fact they only have five in the upcoming draft. So that kind of ended the Le'Veon Bell talk. Later on is when the Dallas Cowboys in kind of the last ditch effort, the last couple hours before the trade deadline made a legitimate move and a legitimate push, uh, according to multiple sources that I talked to for Jamal Adams. The, the, it's pretty obvious and everyone knows this, that the Cowboys have been trying to add a game breaking safety dating back to the last couple of years in their pursuit of Earl Thomas. They were not able to get Earl Thomas, so they saw Jamal Adams as a player that they could potentially go out there and get. They called the Jets. They did what they could, and they engaged in conversations up until the 12th hour 
to get Jamal Adams from the Jets. They wanted him. They wanted to go out and get them at one point because of how much chatter this was between the two sides going back and forth with the Cowboys saying, we'll give you this. The Jets saying, we're only going to take this. And the Cowboys saying, okay, well, what about this? Jets saying, no, this is what we want. It's just going back and forth. One source said that basically there's so much smoke. There's clearly a fire. And he said, I would be stunned if a deal did not get done because of how much clatter was going on. But basically what this all came down to with Le'Veon Bell, with Jamal Adams, not with Robbie Anderson, not with, with Robbie Anderson. The Jets just where they weren't willing to deal him for a fourth round pick, which is what the offers were that were out there because they know that they can let him walk and get a third round of compensatory value. So it didn't make sense to deal him for a fourth round pick with Leonard Williams. Obviously, they came to a deal that they liked with a three and potentially a four definitively a three and a five. Uh, they just did not get the offers that they thought they could get for Le'Veon Bell. The first round pick was not there for Bell because also the team that acquired him then had to figure out how to make his salary, his uh, caps, his contract work within their cap space. And with Jamal Adams, the Jets did not get the offer that they wanted. I only was told the specifics were it's a lot, a whole lot was the quote that I got in terms of what the Jets were asking for. NFL Network then came out and reported the specifics of it which was that the Jets were asking for a first-round pick and two second-round picks. That's what they wanted if they were going to deal Jamal Adams. They were not going to take anything less than that. The best that the Cowboys offered was a first-round pick and a day-three draft pick. So they obviously were not able to come to an agreement on those two de- on, on, a, on return compensation. So the Jets kept Le'Veon Bell. They kept Jamal Adams. And again, this is just a very big difference between the Jets sticking to their guns and not selling these guys, but saying, look, if you're going to give us a first-round pick and two second-round picks, yeah, we'll give you Jamal Adams. Well, guess what? I'm sure Joe Douglas would trade his firstborn son for a first-round pick <laughs> and two second-round picks. I mean, that's that's what that kind of return compensation is in the NFL. You just don't hear about that. So that's what his marking was on Jamal Adams. That's basically saying that player is untouchable. But if you're willing to give us this, heck yeah, we'll take that and, and, and we'll run with it. With Le'Veon Bell, it's the same thing. A first-round pick for, for a 26-, 27-year-old running back is kind of unheard of in today's NFL, especially with a contract like that. So, I mean, look, Melvin Gordon's out there. He didn't fetch a first-round pick, and the Chargers were trying to trade him. He's younger and hasn't even gotten paid yet. So uh, th- this was just a case that the Jets were interested in, in trading for players. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the Jets were, were interested in listening to the offers that teams would have if they picked up the phone and they called Joe Douglas. But they were not out there trying to trade these two guys. They weren't trying to give them away. So uh, what ended up happening was a lot of drama, a lot of gossip, a lot of talking, a lot of rumors, a lot of discussions of the discussions that were happening. But at the end of the day, um, it's 7 p.m. I'm sitting in my car and absolutely nothing happened today. (laughs) Yeah, nothing happened. But then Jamal Adams throws, you know, a little, I guess, gasoline on the little fire that may have been burning after the fact. He gets on Twitter and he says he shares kind of a different account of things. He says he met with Gase and Douglas last week, told him he wants to be in New York. And then he said his agent told him that Douglas shopped him behind his back. Now, I have a big problem with this. Uh, Connor, here's my problem. So what? So you told them you wanted to be here. Who cares? They can still do whatever they want. And you said it. Teams probably came to them and they didn't go to other teams. But either way, just because you said, I want to be in New York, it's not like they're then going to be like, oh, okay. Hey, Jamal wants to be here. So you know what? No matter what anybody offers us, we're not going to give him in because, hey, Jamal wants to be here. I mean, that was ridiculous to me. And then that gets legs just because social media is what it is. Yeah, and and I think the other thing that that this was just the reason why those tweets went out when they did was that uh, Adam Gase, or not Adam Gase, I'm sorry, Joe Douglas had a chance to talk to Robbie Anderson and Le'Veon Bell. He didn't yet get a hold of Jamal Adams. And 
the fact he called those two, I have a feeling that he did, in fact, call Jamal as well. And maybe Jamal didn't answer the phone or they weren't able to connect before Joe Douglas gave his press conference at, at 530. That might have been, I don't know. This is just me speculating. Right. That might have been why it was pushed from 5 p.m. to 530 as he was trying to get a hold of Jamal and trying to get a hold of the players and wasn't able to do so. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you make a good point is that the Jets can do that. But at the same time, I think that Jamal just got confused in terms of what was going on because the reports that were out there, uh, several of the reports made it seem like the Jets were shopping Jamal Adams and they were not shopping Jamal Adams. Teams were calling them. The Jets were picking up the phone. And then because you have so many people that cover the NFL now and so many people that know people in the NFL, anything that happens, get out, gets out. It takes one person to call. Like I said, I mean, I had one guy. That called me at 8 a.m. about Le'Veon Bell, who heard it from somebody uh, tied to one of the teams that were pursuing Bell, who called me and said, hey, my buddy just told me this, put it on your radar, man. So it spreads that quickly and can get to anyone that quickly. And then you end up reporting it. And it gets out there in the news and these players see it. Now, I have a feeling that if Joe Douglas talked to Jamal, it would have been calmed down and it wouldn't have been an issue. The bigger issue here, which is what Joe Douglas then said when he did an interview on the radio with ESPN New York, is that this is probably just a case of a miscommunication and that. Uh, you know, these guys haven't had a chance to, to touch base yet. And when they do touch base, everything will be fine. But you're, you're right. I mean, just because Jamal Adams said he he does, he wants to be here. I mean, I don't know if maybe Gase and Douglas gave him assurances that, look, you're not going to be traded. You're not, it's not something that we're going to we're going to do. Um, so I, I don't know if that's what he heard. And then when he heard them say, look, we're not going to trade you. And then they go out and trade you. He got a little ticked off. But at the same time, what Joe Douglas said is that the conversations that they had regarding regarding Jamal Adams never progressed to the point where they had to even consider trading him because they said, we're not even listening unless you're giving us a first and two twos. And because that return compensation never even, you know, the Cowboys never came forth and said, okay, fine, we'll give you a one and two twos. It never progressed to, to that point where they would consider uh, having to talk to Jamal and saying, look, this is what we got. We're moving you. Or they had to decide, do we take this package or do we still keep our, our pro bowl borderline all pro safety? So uh, it really is just a mess. It's a, a an ugly situation. It's a it's a cluster, you know what, and uh, it, it's kind of one of those things that that only seems to happen to the Jets. Yeah, needless to say, Jets Twitter was entertaining today. Um, at one oh, point, yeah. when the Adams rumors were really flying, the consensus for Jets fans on Twitter was: if they trade Adams, I'm no longer going to be a fan. I'll find a different team. That was kind yeah. of the consensus across Twitter. Uh, so so maybe uh, they'll have a better crowd because they didn't. We'll see. Um, but here's the other thing is tomorrow, all these guys and, and the front office and, and the coaching staff, they're all going to be back at practice. Um, and obviously there's some awkwardness. You said Douglas reached out and made those phone calls, but still, you know, the players get to the locker room and they're talking amongst each other and, and other players are going to have their own opinions on things. And I would think Wednesday at Jets practice is just going to be a whole lot of awkwardness that the, this team now has to work its way through. Yeah, very much so, Tim. I mean, I, I think it is one of those things where uh, it, it's it's tough because, like you said, I mean, even if the even if the Jets weren't shopping these guys and they were just listening to offers, as a player, you're still sitting there saying, well, does, what, what's what's my offer then? Like, we're, we're, I guess, do they really value me if they were willing? I mean, it's a very difficult fine line to cross when you have a GM that says the only player that's untouchable is the franchise quarterback and anyone who calls, I'm going to listen. Well, yeah, technically, but then when you actually hear your name in those discussions and you hear that your name is the name of the player that was being called and asked about, 
Well, that's when you get to your, get into a situation where you're like, okay, now I'm a little worried. Now I'm a little worked. Okay, now wait, am I was I actually going to be traded? I mean, how how much did these progress? Then you also start having some doubts in terms of, okay, well, did the Jets? I mean, is, is the GM being truthful? Is he being honest? How do I know? It's he said. And then in Jamal's case, you have your agent saying one thing, the GM saying another thing, and you know the the GM and the agent are going to be playing this off of each other. So uh, it. it it is an awkward situation. It's not an ideal situation. It can turn very ugly still. And, and the crazy thing is, man, is, is this is what week nine, like we still got seven <laughs> games to go here. So uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just wild to think that this is, uh, this is where we're at right now with uh, still, I mean, God, it's not even November, November, December, and January, three months left of the season. I mean, you think I tweeted this before, man. Remember when the biggest problem with the jets was Sam Darnold's spleen. Now, now <laughs> this is all, I mean, this has been the season from hell. Oh, those were the good old days, just the, the spleen, and then everything was going to be okay, and this team was going to yeah. make a run towards the playoffs. Uh, forget about that. All right, so we should – you touched on Leonard Williams, but we should uh, say something about that too because the Jets did make a trade, and it was a guy that – and we've talked about it. They kind of had to trade him if they could get some sort of a good deal just because he's not in their future. He's going to be a free agent, so you might as well check in and get something for him. So they get a third-round pick in what – I think we'll probably end up being a fourth round pick because I would imagine the Giants feel like they almost have to sign this guy yeah. um, to make it worth it. So probably a fourth, but if he doesn't re-sign with the Giants, it would be a third and a fifth. Do you like the haul that they got back for Leonard Williams? Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably the most that you were going to get. I mean, talking to multiple sources about that that trade, I mean, the market was just was just not as robust as what you would think for Leonard Williams. I mean, other teams were interested in Leonard. Other teams did call the Jets about Leonard, but when it came to actually ironing out a deal, the only team that was realistically there with a compensation that the Jets would consider was the Giants. Other teams were really scared off uh, by Leonard Williams' lack of production. You know, this is a guy that has seven sacks in his last 37 games, I think it is, and and uh, something like that, and, and doesn't have a single sack in 10 games this year and only a handful of quarterback hits and stuff. You know, it's a guy that once you trade for him, like the Giants are going to be faced with now, you have to re-sign him to a big deal. And then he also still had like six, seven million dollars left in base salary that you'd have to uh, take on in, in terms of salary cap space to put it out there. Now, the, Gi- the Jets were able to get through that uh, with the Giants by, by agreeing to pay uh, about 80 percent of that, you know, a pretty good chunk of that so that Leonard can still fit underneath the, underneath the Giants salary cap because they, they're kind of pressed up against that one. So. Uh, I do like it again, like a player like Leonard Williams. I know when you take away his name and you just look at his production, the fact the Jets were able to get a three this year and a four next or a three and a five next. I think that's about as good as you were going to do. If Leonard was, if this was last year where you still had another year left on him, maybe they could have gotten a little bit more from him. Maybe a definitive three and a four, no matter what. Uh, maybe you could have gotten into a second if you traded him uh, the season after he had the seventh sack year or, or two years after he had the seventh sack year. I don't know, but but this is really what you were looking at. I mean, it wasn't something where there was a robust market for Leonard Williams. There weren't a ton of teams where this was a negotiating battle. Like for Jamal Adams, the Baltimore Ravens were in there with the Dallas Cowboys, and both of those guys made fierce pushes for Jamal Adams. The Jets just were not willing to back off that one and two twos asking price, and neither the Ravens nor the Cowboys, for obvious reasons, were willing to pony up that much. This was not like this was a fierce negotiating battle where the Jets were able to use you know, say the Philadelphia Eagles to drive up the New York Giants asking price. And, you know, they're able to get an extra pick because the Eagles weren't willing to do it. It wasn't like that. It was kind of just the Giants were, were the team that was really in the running for uh, for for Leonard Williams. And, the, and they were able to get it done. And, and those conversations started a little bit ago. Uh, from what I understand, it, it was a couple weeks and then it really progressed and started moving forward. And 
And the Giants, uh, this kind of centers around the fact that, that they're not too, too pleased with the develop, or no, I shouldn't say not pleased with the development, but they viewed Dexter Lawrence, uh, the guy they drafted, as more of a run stuffer than a pass rusher. And they believe that Leonard Williams can be the, the either the Batman to Dexter's Robin or the Robin to Dexter's Batman and be the pass rusher to complement the run stuffer. And that those two guys will play off each other pretty well. So uh, I thought it was a decent haul. Like I said, it, it, you're only going to get so much for a player that, that has such limited production and, and is going to kind of demand a 15 million a year type contract in just a couple months here in free agency. So uh, this was a good deal for Joe Douglas and, and that third round pick can go, can go a long way in reshaping the secondary, uh, potentially adding a guard or center. You usually find, uh, some pretty good guards and centers in those third rounds. All right, so that pretty much wraps up the trade. Oh, real was... quick, Tim, not not to interrupt yeah. you, not, no, not no. to interrupt you, but uh, the Giants. That the other thing to remember too is is the Giants are a pretty horrendous football team. So that <laughs> third round pick is going to be pretty high. I mean, that's right. not like you know if the Giants if the if the Jets traded with the you know Leonard Williams to the Cowboys or the Patriots. Like obviously they never deal with the Patriots, but traded to the Patriots something like that. You're talking about a, a third round pick that's kind of going to be more like a third rounder because of how low down it, how how far down it's going to be. This third rounder from the Giants, because of how bad the Giants are, is kind of going to be like a really early third rounder. So it's kind of like a second ish. So uh, it was a good deal. Like, like the fact they were able to trade Leonard to a team that isn't very good adds adds value to that pick. Yeah, maybe somewhere around 70 or, or somewhere in that range yeah, exactly. as opposed to, to 90. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was a game Sunday as well down in Jacksonville. Uh, Connor made it and somehow made it back. Um, we won't get into the the flight plans too much or anything like that, <laughs> but um we won't go all over this game because so much has happened, it seems like, since then. But we have to talk about uh, Sam Darnold and just the regression that is happening and the reasons for it, which are, are pretty obvious, I think. But but it was just bad again. Three more interceptions. He did throw a couple of touchdowns, 21 of 30, 218. He was great on the touchdown drives, Connor. Uh, 13 of 13 on the touchdown drives. 14 of 14 if you put in the two-point conversion. But otherwise... It was bad. Sacked eight times, hit 13 times. Um, the offensive line is just, I, I don't know what the right word is to say what they're doing to Sam Darnold, but they're letting him down. Yeah. And and I think I got, I got a lot of criticism on Twitter by saying Darnold regressed. And, and for obvious reasons, I mean, people, uh, fans specifically want to believe that this guy is their franchise quarterback. They're desperate to believe that this guy is their franchise quarterback. And and I personally believe that he is. I, I've said this over and over and over again, that I think that Sam Darnold is a franchise quarterback. I think he will develop into everything the Jet fans have craved since Joe Namath walked out the door you know, 40-something years ago or, or however long it was when Joe Namath le- left. And I think he went to the Rams or something like that. So I think that, that Sam Darnold will develop into that guy. But to, to turn a blind eye and be a, such a Darnold apologist that you can't see his regression this year from where he ended his rookie season with those promising games against the Texans, uh, against the Packers, when he put together some some really impressive throws against the Patriots. I mean, it's just blissful ignorance. It's blind ignorance, really, when, when you're trying to, to ignore that, to just think that everything is going to be okay. And you can blame his regression on the offensive line. I think that that's played a part of it. You can blame his regression on the coaching. I think that that's a part of it as well. But you also look at Darnold and you realize that that part of this is also, in spite of the coaching, in spite of the offensive line, he's not playing very good football right now. His uh, footwork is is absolutely atrocious. He be, he's become so enamored 
Uh, I think largely because of what Jets coaches have said and Dow Loggins and Adam Gase about how he can make all these throws when he's not balanced, make this throw and that throw. And, and, and that's a positive that he just thinks he doesn't need to set his feet and he could just throw no matter what. Well, no, you want to be able to throw when you're not set as an emergency. You don't want to do it when you have a perfect pocket or protection or anything like that. Darnold's footwork is totally screwed up. He's not moving like he used to. He's making horrific decisions. I mean, that interception that he threw to Vincent Smith was just a, a terrible terrible decision when the Jets were still very much in that game. Uh, his decision-making's taking a step back. His footwork has taken a step back. His turnovers are back. Seven interceptions in his last seven days. Uh, he's got something like, like what is it? I, I tweeted out, I think it's 20, 20, 23 in his 17 starts, I think it is. So averaging over an interception a start. I mean, this is these are all alarming red flags that the Jets need to figure out what is wrong and fix it. Because while the Jets hoped to make a, a playoff run this year and they hope to turn a corner and they hope to, to really take the next step in their development as a team, what they needed to see, not what they hoped, not what they wanted, what they needed was for Sam Darnold to take that next step in his franchise quarterback development, that they needed him to ascend to that franchise quarterback status so they can really be a team that competes while he's still on his rookie contract. And instead, what you've seen from Donald this year is not steps forward, is not improvement, is not becoming a franchise quarterback, but is instead steps back. He looks worse this year. Again, blame the offensive line, blame the coaching. It doesn't matter. He still looks worse this year than he did last year towards the end of last year, those final four games, and even in the summer and in training camp that inspired such hope and optimism. And, and that's a damning assessment. That's a really bad thing. And the Jets need to, need to, need to figure out what is going wrong with Darnold fix it and get him back to playing the football that he was over the summer and that he was during the final quarter of last year. Now you have this trolling coming into things as well, which he says doesn't bother me, doesn't really notice it and all that, but it, it's still just got to be irritating. And they really cranked it up in Jacksonville. They had the mascot Jackson DeVille dressed up as a ghost. Um, just following your Twitter, you could follow this stuff. Yeah. Um, they played the Ghostbusters theme song towards the end of the game. The best though, I think was the plane overhead, which I'm sure yeah. had nothing to do with the team, but, but somebody, in the fan base, uh, Gardner Minshew ain't afraid of no ghost Duval. They had that on the sign. I mean, it was relentless. Um, and I feel like maybe Darnell won't see this in Miami because I don't know how many Dolphins fans still go to the games, but he's going to get this on the road. I think the rest of the season. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of to put it in perspective, I mean, that, that plane was insane. Like I was walking, <laughs> uh, I was walking into the stadium and I kind of heard like I was, the, my Uber dropped me off on the complete wrong side. So I had to walk all the way across the side to get to the media entrance uh, because the Jaguars do not make it clear where the hell that is when they put in the hands of your credential and parking pass. So uh, I got out of my Uber, was walking all around. I heard like a plane and just passing time. Like I looked up at it and I saw the sign and my mouth just dropped and I took that picture. But uh, what's actually really funny is my mom, uh, she's not, a, she's not a, a Jets fan at all, but she follows and reads about the Jets so that when she reads my stuff, she knows what's going on. So she'll send me some texts that just kind of crack me up during it. So she texts after uh, this most recent game, the Jaguars, she texts me, she goes like, did those Jaguars really do all that and really mean stuff to Sam? And I was like, you talking about the ghost stuff? She goes, yeah. She goes, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that all happened. She goes, oh my goodness. That was so mean. <laughs> I started cracking <laughs> up at it. I was like, oh my God. Uh, so, I mean, that's just like, it, it is. It's true. But look, this, this stuff's going to follow the kid uh, wherever he goes and for quite a long time until he beats it and he breaks out of it. So he's got to show that, that, that it doesn't bother him. 
Otherwise, you're going to have teams doing this. I don't know if they're going to do it to the extent that the Jaguars did where, you know, they're playing the Ghostbusters theme and they've got the mascot dressed up as a ghost. But when guys sacked Arnold or guys are coming up to the line and they're running by him, you know, they're going to be yelling boo. They're going to be yelling, you know, kind of things like that. And it's going to they're going to try to do it to get under his skin. And until Darnold shows that it does not get under his skin, it won't really matter. His receivers aren't helping him much. I mean, we've talked about Robbie Anderson, who's now still on the roster, but his inability to help out and and make an interception into an incomplete pass or or that sort of thing. And then the running game didn't help him at all either on Sunday. 13 carries, 34 yards. I mean, it's brutal, and you can't put it on Le'Veon Bell, who has shown this year how hard he's working. Um, There's just nothing there, and these are the little things that you think could take the pressure off Darnold, and they're not there he gets his tight end back, and he hits one of his tight end for a couple of touchdowns, but it's actually the other one, Griffin. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just there's there's all these little outlets that you'd think could help him, and they're not there to help him either. Yeah, and, and I feel bad for Bell, man, because you, you kind of wonder, like, you know, why why hasn't he had that breakout game? Why hasn't he done the, the stuff yet that really gets him going and fired up and 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 all that all that mumbo jumbo? And and the reason of is you go you go back and watch any of the film, watch any of the all twenty two, or even just watch the game in general, and you see that the Jets are so horrendous at, at blocking that they're not getting to the second level. So when you see running backs across the league break big runs, usually it's because a center, a fullback, a tight end does not block the initial wave of defenders, but they get to that second level and they chip the, chip the linebacker, chip the safety, something like that, which allows the running back to then, instead of getting three, four yards, fight through, get six, seven, then he makes one guy miss and he's off and running. The Jets haven't been able to do that. I mean, they're keeping their five offensive linemen, two tight ends, and a fullback, whoever they have playing fullback at that particular time. They're keeping all those guys in the block, and those guys are just blocking the initial wave of defenders, and they're not even blocking that initial wave. So so Bell's in the backfield moving, rumbling, stumbling, bumbling to fight to get just past the line of scrimmage to get one, two yards, and as soon as he gets there, he's met by, by an unblocked linebacker that then brings him down for, for a three-yard gain. So it's really the Jets' inability to get to that second level for the reason why this running game is struggling so much, but it's just another example of something that's gone wrong with the jets to this point this year. Another thing that's gone wrong for the jets uh, in general. And and until they fix the offensive line, until the offensive line uh, shows some semblance of an ability to pass blocks until they show an ability to to run block, it's not going to get, this isn't getting better for the jets. It's just not going to get any better. One in six is really bad. And you look at things and, and I've, I've kind of been with you all all along that Adam Gates is the guy they brought in to run this team, and there's no way they that he won't be the head coach in 2020. Um, but he's supposed to be the offensive guy, and this offense is a disaster. And sure, the talent's not at a top level, but there's enough pieces there that that I think he should be able to put something together. So I will pose this question to you again now that we are about at the midway point in the season. Is is there a chance now? Is there a chance kind of wiggling in that Adam Gase may not be the head coach in 2020? No, I, I think that here's what here's what is there a chance? Yes. But but I mean, I would say it's like a one or two or three percent chance. And, and this is what would have to happen. The Jets would basically have to go uh, one and 15, two and 14. And you would have to have a complete and total locker room eruption and locker room mutiny. Uh, to the point where it is historically bad and historically ugly and and really paints the organization in such a bad light that Christopher Johnson is embarrassed to walk out of of his of his house wearing a Jets hat or anything like that. I mean, that's how bad this would have to get. Think, you know, look how bad it is right now for the Jets. Picture it 
30 times worse by the time week 16, 17 rolls around. That's what it would take for Adam Gase to be let go. I mean, you'd have to have players calling out the coach, Jamal Adams calling out the coach, Sam Darnold really regressing uh, for, for this thing to, to go to the point where Adam Gase lost his job. And I just don't see it happening. I mean, the, the Gase has done a pretty good job of putting himself in a little bit of a cocoon within this organization where everyone loves him. I mean, Christopher Johnson loves him. Uh, Adam Gase is the one who handpicked uh, basically the president. He's you know, or not handpicked the president, but he's really tight with the Jets president. He's really tight, obviously, with Joe Douglas and Joe, and he basically picked Joe Douglas to be this team's general manager. So uh, there, there's, I, I would be still very, very surprised if it happened, but that's kind of what I just outlined is what would have to happen if the Jets were to make such a surprising move and, and let Adam Gase go at the end of the year. And I just don't see it happening. Even with, with Joe Douglas's press conference today, he made it seem pretty clear that, that he's, he hasn't lost any faith in, in Adam and that uh, nothing's going to happen with Adam by, by the end of the year. It's amazing to me that a guy that had so really little success in Miami gets fired there, can create this much of a cocoon here in his next job the next season. It's impressive stuff. Uh-huh. By Adam Gates. Yeah, you know what, Tim? I'll tell you what, man. Someday I want a call from Peyton Manning, and, and I, I might I don't even know where I'll be in my life. I think yeah, that, that call that call Peyton Manning made to Christopher Johnson must have been one hell of a sell job, my friend. He's got he's got good references. Adam Gates, yeah. good references. All right. Uh we like we you were in Jacksonville, um, and we set the stage for this. We set it up to be just a terrible food experience for you. So uh oh, yeah. press box food power rankings. It's time for the press box food power rankings. The Jaguars surprised you on the good side of things, at least a little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. God, you, you mentioned I, it, it, this. Literally feels like it was two months ago because I was like, "What are we <laughs> talking about?" Oh, the press. That's right. Oh, that's right. We had a. Yeah, no, they, dude. They actually surprised a little bit. Now, I would say that the one thing that I know that I've realized about the Jaguars and, and TIAA Bank Stadium is that it's very much not a food town in terms of like the dinner and sides and all that stuff, as much as it is like the dessert, like the dessert is what is their saving grace. So uh, I, I'm still pissed off kind of at the fact that you have to give them your little uh, uh, peel off thing. And you can only go up once to get some food. Cause you know, sometimes you get a little bit and then you want to go back up and get more of whatever you like the buffet style, but no, it's one pass through and then you're done. But uh, what they served us wasn't, and this is all up on, on Instagram, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes on Instagram. You can go check out the pictures of this uh, press box food power rankings spread here at TIA bank. Uh, they gave us green beans, which uh, as a side, which were not bad. Uh, I, again, I've, I've made this comment before. I'm a big, big green bean fan. Really, really like them. Uh, however, these were, while they were cooked, okay, still kind of crunchy they were not seasoned at all. I mean, they had no salt. They had no pepper. I mean, they were basically just green beans and light oil that were, were roasted. So I like them because I love green beans, but I can understand someone who is a casual bean lover not being all about them just because there was a lack of seasoning. They gave us, uh, red, I believe it was red skin potatoes that were chopped up. I'll tell you what, Tim, these damn things would have put a vampire into a coma. I mean, they were freaking coated. <laughs> in garlic and oil i mean it, they were they were disgusting like they were like i looked at them i was like well i gotta do this for work so i gotta take a bite i bit one of them and was like Ugh! like it was just nasty i mean just coated in garlic and oil and i was like oh this is this is not for me so those i ate one of them and then immediately threw them away i did not like those we uh, appreciate meat- you taking a bite for for the work yeah, well now now you guys know I'm not uh, I'm not uh, who's that guy I, I don't want it. Uh, Edward and Edward and Bella from uh, 
the Twilight books. Now you guys know I'm not a, I'm not a vamp. I'm a, I'm a normal <laughs> red blooded human male with the, or warm blooded human male, whatever we are uh, with this, uh, with, with the, the garlic, not killing me, but I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I, I feel bad for whoever sat next to me just eating one of those potatoes. It probably stunk to high heavens. Um, but the, uh, the protein that they gave us were this roast beef, which was fine. I mean, it was, it was perfectly, perfectly fine. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily good, but it wasn't bad. I mean, you could, you could eat it and, and feel semi okay about yourself, but the game changer, which was re- again, like the desserts here, just, I've determined are, are freaking killer was that they gave us like a blueberry cobbler, uh, crisp with like the brown sugar cinnamon ground, uh, uh, ground crust on top. That was awesome and they gave you vanilla ice cream on the side to put on top so that was just dynamite so i mean that's why i think i bumped them from number 18 to number 17 for that reason alone because that blueberry cobbler with the with the vanilla ice cream was just so good i mean the blueberries they weren't too too sweet like sometimes you can get with a blueberry pie they were just enough tart and sweet where they were really good then you have like that brown brown uh graham cracker crust kind of crumbled on top which is really good with the vanilla ice cream which melted because it was all really hot so the, the blueberry is hot and then the ice cream melts on top and you eat it. Oh, it was killer. Uh, and then the only downs, I was actually thinking about moving up two or three spots, but why they only went up at one was uh, halftime was like spinach dip, which was gross and buffalo chicken dip, which was not good. And they ran out of crackers and chips within like two minutes of, of halftime opening. So that was like the halftime spread that wasn't that good. But other than that, I mean, the like I said, the, the green beans were fine. Um, I'm biased though because I love the green beans. Roast beef was was perfectly okay. But the star, and it was seriously one of the better desserts I've had at a press box or in a press box, I should say, was that blueberry crumb cobbler, whatever the hell it was. Uh, that was that was really, really good. So uh, overall, a surprisingly not terrible showing from from Jacksonville, setting the stage uh, for for Washington in a couple weeks here to really have to have to bring it out uh, at FedEx Field and, and show they're, they're not too bad to to lift themselves out of the cellar of the press box food power rankings. It's going to be tough. Teams need. Yeah, teams need to realize that halftime matters as far as the Yeah, the press exactly. Box, Absolutely. You know? Halftime matters. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you you get off to a good start, but you need to nail it home with that halftime meal. So, it can make so or break it. That, can make or set break that it. message out to Washington. Speaking of uh terrible performances, Connor, um our picks we debuted last oh, week. Um oh, and nobody did great. Words. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not I was I was two and two, Marissa was two and two, but you were oh and four. Oh, uh, that, I mean, Just I know brutal. you two weeks ago, you were great, but how do you explain over four? Uh, oh, I don't even know, man. I mean, it was, that was rough. You know, like it drove me, like, uh, the worst was the, uh, the Colts there. Cause they, they, they still won, but they didn't cover. So they won by two instead of five and they were driving down and they were, they were, they laid such an egg to the Broncos at home and, and just fell asleep until the fourth quarter when they came back. And then the Jets obviously was just a, a horrible bet. I mean, that, that was just a bad call. Uh, thinking that they were going to beat the the Jaguars, I actually felt pretty good after they went down the field on their first drive and scored a touchdown. But uh, it obviously imploded after that, and then some of the other ones just just really didn't go my way. I mean, I, I can't. I'm doing this podcast on my call, so I can't remember the exact other games that I picked. I know the the uh, the um, uh, I was just talking. Oh, the Colts. I know beat me up. Uh, I lost because the Titans, right? Didn't the Titans, who did the Titans beat? Colts, Bucks. Yeah, the Titans beat the Bucks. The Eagles beat the Bills. Yeah, and then yeah, lost that the was Colts. bad. All bad. So me and yeah, Marissa I, you know, both got you on the Eagles Bills game, and then um, yeah. and she got us both on Titans. the, the Bucks Titans game. And the Bucks one, man, that's annoying because the Bucks were coming. The Bucks led that game. I mean, the the Titans came. The Titans scored like fourteen points unanswered. The Bucks had that one, but 
again, you, you learn, you learn a valuable lesson that you can never trust Jameis Winston to do anything. I mean, that guy sucks. Like that guy's a turnover machine. I mean, he's terrible. They, I told you that, yeah, Connor. She did. That I is told true. you. I told you just hammer all Marissa's picks and 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 bet against me, and you'll be. I fine. mean, I'm not saying I was. I'm not saying I was like you know had a great day or anything, but I believe I said, yeah. do not trust Jameis Winston. Yep. And yep. And I bet against Ryan listen. Tannehill, who suddenly <laughs> he left Adam Gase, and suddenly he's become Dan Marino for uh, for the Tennessee Titans. He's just tearing it up. Uh Lucky me, lucky me. I'll bounce back this week, though. I'm going to look at the yep. spreads. I'm going to find some good picks, and, and I'm going to I'm going to try to go three and zero and get get back on the winning end of things. I'm going to try. Um, I tweeted out I tweeted out those results a little bit earlier today, um, so they are up on Twitter. Tim M McMaster, oh, if you want to see the full breakdown of the picks, um, but that's going to do it. We will have more. That's going to be every week now is the picks, and we'll see if we can all do a little bit better. But that's going to do it for this episode. It's been a it's been a fun one. Uh, if you want to hear more about the trade deadline, the deals that did happen, the deals that didn't, be sure to check out the Football Fact Check podcast with Dave Damashek for a complete breakdown across the NFL. That's the Football Fact Check podcast right here at The Athletic. Uh, follow Connor on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. He has been ranting lately, and the way this season is going, you can expect it to continue. So plenty of <laughs> entertainment there as well. Thanks to Marissa for doing the producing. And we will be back with you later this week to preview a game that, wow, Jets-Dolphins. Plenty of hype around that one. We'll preview it all for you later this week. Thanks for tuning in.